I uh, love Malachi's story. If you did not see the first of those two video clips, you can go to whosyourone.com and the, both of those videos are there. In fact, there's a third video we're not going to show. It's a great one, but we're just not going to show it next Sunday. You may want to watch that too. Whosyourone.com. As many of you know, we're in the middle of this series entitled Who's Your One, where the emphasis is just simply upon us playing a role individually in terms of our personal testimony, in terms of our personal witness, in helping to get the good news of Jesus Christ out into the world and into people's hearts. That's the emphasis because we, we recognize as Christians, it, it will not do for us to simply come every once in a while on Sunday morning and just bask in the glory of Jesus. We have to actually shine our light out in the world in terms of what we do and in terms of what we say. We don't hide it under a bushel. Now, we all know this, but when we get reminded of this from time to time, whenever we start talking about evangelism, here's, here's what happens. People get a little bit nervous, and, and I think I know why we get a little bit uptight when we start talking about witnessing and all the rest. It's because for many of us, we think in terms of one of two things when we talk about bearing witness. On the one hand, and this is what I see happen or used to see happen when I was a youth pastor, whenever a student would become a Christian, they get very, very excited about Jesus, which is exciting. It's an exciting phase to watch. And all of a sudden, they want all of their friends to meet the friend that they've just met in Jesus. And so they'll spend an inordinate amount of energy trying to get all of their family and friends and whoever will listen into a corner so they can go out at them with both barrels. And it's all, you know, appropriately, properly motivated. They want people to meet Jesus. And they become, they go through this phase. I like to call it the shark phase. And sharks don't just swim to the water. They attack life. And that works pretty well for a shark. It's not always so good for everybody else around the shark. And after a while, there are a few victories that are won by the shark. It's just that sometimes the shark begins to notice people are avoiding me. Um, they see me coming and they're telling me things like, I, I don't have time for you right now. I've got to walk my hamster or shave my feet or something like that. And when you're, when you're really excited about Jesus and you go through the shark phase, you'll do things like, you know, put the track on the table for the waitress, which is great. I used to know a guy who would do that, but he never left money. And, and seriously, I'm not kidding you. It's like, well, it's worth more than worth more than money, the track. We're like, yeah, but no. If you do that, please leave a, a, a tip tip. But we'll do that and put, put tips or put tracks and backpacks of unsuspecting students while they're not watching. And, and then there were some people who would go into the stalls of the men's room. This is, I am not making this up. And they'd either put tracks in the toilet paper or write John 3.16 on the toilet paper. So in those opportune moments, you'd be thinking about Jesus. And uh, and then there would be, you know, sometimes now the difficult or confrontational social media moments and people get kind of sharky and then they recognize while there may have been a victory or two, I don't know that I was a soul winner as much as a soul alienator. And then after a while when you see the, I don't know, the effect of the strip mining for Jesus and you notice the landscape is kind of a mess, people will evolve from sharks into carp. They'll, 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 they'll back off and say, you know, I tried the whole evangelism thing and it really didn't work. And it's not that these people don't love the Lord. They still love the Lord and they love, they love people. It's just that they've tried the whole let's be a witness thing and it didn't work out so well. 
And so carp, rather than attacking life, they just go through life rather lethargically and they're not making life happen. They're just watching life around them happen. And I have found that churches are frequently filled with carp and it's not because they're bad people, but because they've gone through the shark phase and it didn't really work out so well, not for them or for other people around them. And if that's you, I understand. And this is why people get nervous whenever pastors or churches start putting an emphasis on evangelism and bearing witness because there is this implicit feeling, oh, I know what he's trying to do. He's trying to get me to move from being a a carp back to being a shark. I don't want that. If you're thinking, if I have to be that, forget it. I know I'm supposed to, but I'm just not going to do it. Because I don't want to go back there. If that's where you come from, I understand completely. But there is a third option that's available to you. You don't have to be a, a, a you don't have to be a shark or a carp. You don't have to think in terms of uh, one or the other. There's another option that's available to you. And here's the good news. Last week I said there's an option available to you. You can start changing right now, and it has to be a very very minor adjustment. You're already praying every day. Just tweak your prayer a little bit and start praying for people. Pray with specificity. Pray for the advance of the gospel. It's not a big change. And the good news this morning is, for most of us in this room and most of you that are watching, you don't have a big change to make. You don't need to move from being a carp or, or being a carp back to a shark. There's another option that's available to you, and it's, this really fits with like 99% of you, if not 100% of you. You can be a dolphin. You don't have to be one or the other. You can go through life with freedom and life with joy, and you can let go, and you can be the kind of person that says, largely what I do in my life is I just ride the compression wave of God's freedom and joy, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm openly excited about Jesus, but I just leave the results and the timing of the results to God. You can do that. In fact, some of you are, would be really, really good at doing that because you're joyful, free people. And you're fun to be around. I tell people this all the time. You know, if I could just get people to spend time with the people who are part of this church family, they would want to know Jesus. You know why? Because you're a good reflection on the Lord. This is the truth. But here's the thing that happens when we start thinking about evangelism. We start thinking, oh, it's it's this or this. The reason we have a tendency to think in terms of I'm going to be a shark or a carp, it's going to be one or the other, It's two reasons, actually. One, we get too easily tied up with the results. And two, we get too easily tied up with the timing of the results. The shark, here's the four spiritual laws. You know, are you ready? You going to do it now? And the carp, I've already tried that before. You know, forget about it. I've done my military service. I've, I've served my time. I'm not doing that anymore. It doesn't work. We don't see the immediate results, and so we immediately begin to give up. The dolphin just enjoys life and they're openly Christian and they bear testimony and then they leave the results and they leave the timing of the results up to God. And, and, and that is so much healthier for every person here because if you don't give up, the, if you don't give up the, res, the results, hey, I tell you what, we have an evangelist over here. He's got some lungs. I don't know if you, it's good that we have the ambient mics now so y'all can understand. Uh, if you don't give up the results and the timing of the results to the Lord, you're going to drive everybody else, including yourself, crazy, or you're going to do nothing at all. Now, this is why it is so important for us to pray when it comes to 
sharing the gospel. Because while we do need to be urgent, there is a sense of urgency that's at the heart of evangelism. There also has to be a sense of patience, of waiting on the Lord and trusting in the Lord and trusting in His timing. Both of those things absolutely go together. And so when you are praying, you are always in everything with every person entrusting to the Lord this person and the results and the timing of everything that you do. That's why in the Bible, if you don't necessarily see it in an obvious way, it's always at least implied that there is a relationship between prayer and sharing one's faith. We saw that a little bit last week. Let's go back to this real quickly. This is not the focal text, but I'm going to remind you of what we did cover last week just in terms of the verse. This is Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, says Paul, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, because as you pray for yourself, you ought to pray for us too, because we all have a message that we have to give out so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains, that God may open a door for our message. Okay that we may proclaim the mystery of, of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You can see here that it's very obvious that prayer is tied to evangelism because while the emphasis last week is you don't need to wait because all you have to do is tweak your prayer just a little bit, the emphasis today is, well, there is a holy waiting on the Lord. There is a balance between the two. Two weeks ago, we talked about, about the passion of Jesus Christ, that he has compassion on people because they're like sheep without a shepherd. That's what moves him from town to town to town because he is so, he's so interested in bringing in the lost. Then last week, we just talked about prayer, about giving it over to the Lord again and again. And today, the emphasis is going to be basically on patience. On, on waiting on the Lord. And again, if you don't learn how to wait on the Lord, if you don't learn about the timing, if you don't learn about, about, uh, giving, uh, time for the fruit to ripen so that it can be appropriately picked, if you will, you're gonna drive everybody else crazy, you're gonna drive yourself crazy, or you're gonna do absolutely nothing at all. You're gonna be carp or shark. You're not going to be who Jesus wants you to be. That brings us to today's text, which is a really, really strange text. I have to tell you this. It's Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. This is one of those passages that a lot of people don't know that's in the Bible. And when they find out that it's in the Bible, they wish that it were not in the Bible because it's sort of put offish. Uh, Let me explain what I mean by this. Let, Let me give you the context. Before this verse, we... We see, and Mark tells us, that Jesus was preaching a sermon and it was filled with parables. Parables on top of parables. And that's the setup for this text. Let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word. When Jesus was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. May God bless the redeem his word. You may be seated. Now, down through Christian history, through the history of the church, this passage has proven to be one of the most embarrassing, maybe even obnoxious passages that you're going to find in the Bible. And the reason for this is because it seems like in this moment we're catching Jesus in a very unchristlike attitude. Uh, Jesus has been going from town to town. Jesus has been teaching, and we saw this two weeks ago. He's been 
teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And everybody's been hearing about Jesus and his miracles. And now they get word that Jesus is going to be preaching by the Sea of Galilee. So everybody, of course, shows up. And the crowd is so massive, you can imagine them just standing along the crescent of the shoreline and maybe row upon row of people going up the hillside behind. The crowd that has gathered to hear Jesus deliver this sermon is so big, Mark tells us he has to get in a boat and launch out from the shore so that everybody can see him and hear him. It's a huge crowd. So they're gathered, and as Jesus begins to speak, a hush of anticipation falls across the whole group that's gathered. What do you think they expected to hear Jesus say? Well, probably not what they heard. They did not expect what they got. Because Mark explains to us that he just told parables. He tells us that Jesus began in a rather folksy fashion. There's this farmer who went out to sow seed and threw it around on the ground. And then it was just off to the races. And there's one story after another after another. And then the sermon was over and everybody goes home. When it's all done and the crowds are gone, the disciples pull Jesus aside. He's alone. And they wonder, what were you doing? Why did you talk to the crowd that way? Why, if you wanted to get a point across, why didn't you just tell them in very simple, clear, direct language? What is all this beating around the mustard bush business anyway? And Jesus explains himself. Not only does the crowd not get what they're expecting, but we don't get what we're expecting when Jesus explains why he teaches in parables. Because Jesus doesn't say, hey, the reason I teach in parables is because when it's a sermon, you've got to spice it up with a little illustration here and there. Everybody knows if you don't tell some stories, don't show a video clip, you don't give a joke or something, everybody's going to fall asleep and all the rest. And I like to spice up my messages with some parable, poblano pepper. He doesn't say anything like that. And he doesn't say, I just want to make things clear and concrete. Because when you talk about the kingdom of God, it's just, you know, it's a real big, massive concept. It's kind of abstract. And what I like to do is talk in terms that are concrete in language that people understand. And that's why I talk about farming and baking bread and mustard bushes and birds building nests. Jesus doesn't say that. You know what he says. It's pretty clear. The reason I teach in parables is so that they will hear me and not get it. I am preaching in parables so they will see, but not see what I mean. I preach in parables because I don't want them to repent. I preach in parables because I'm not ready for them yet to believe. That's not what we expected here. Now, there's a reason why people, New Testament scholars, sometimes will want to redact. They'll, They'll want to just X that out and say that obviously couldn't be a part of the original New Testament documents. That just, that's just so weird. But before we dismiss this or move past it onto something that makes more sense to us, let's try to understand exactly what Mark is communicating to us about Jesus and the gospel. Because Mark is teaching us something very important about Jesus and very important about the gospel. And if we don't understand this, it will hurt our ability to help people Enter into a relationship with Jesus. Here's what Mark is communicating. I'll read it just like it is up on the screen. It is possible. This is Mark. what Mark wants us to know. It is possible 
to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ too early, to move toward Jesus with too much haste, and to reach out and grab the gospel too quickly. Mark, as much as any other gospel writer, maybe even more so, is terribly concerned about people reaching out to Jesus too quickly, and here's why. He's concerned that when people move toward Jesus too quickly with too much haste, they only grab hold of the gospel superficially. They'll, they'll move toward Jesus with wrong motive or for all of the wrong reasons. People will be attracted to the glitter, and so they don't get the substance. They'll only get the surface. And Mark is terribly concerned about people following Jesus for Jesus. He's very concerned, and you see this in his gospel in other ways, he's very concerned that people would be splish-flashing around in the shallow end of the pool, and they're not swimming in the Lord. And what the Lord wants is for us to be immersed in the Lord, swimming in the Lord, not splashing around thinking when, thinking that we're swimming when we're not at all. Years ago, in a, in a previous generation, there was a rather famous pastor. His name was George Buttrick, and he was the, the pastor of the Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. He tells a story about how he was out of town. He was very famous. He was out of town doing uh, like a conference. He was coming back to New York City on the airplane. And as he was seated on the airplane, he had his pen and and paper or a a pad and a pencil, and he was working on some sermon notes. The gentleman next to him was obviously curious about what he was doing, and curiosity got the best of the person seated next to Buttrick. And the man says, okay, I'm sorry. I know that you're doing something. You're obviously working on something very hard. What in the world is it? And George Buttrick says to the man seated next to him, I'm a pastor, and I'm working on my sermon for Sunday. And the man says, oh, religion. I don't get too caught up in all of the ins and outs and complexities of religion. The golden rule, that's my religion. And Buttrick says, I see. And what is it that you do? And the man says, I'm an astronomer. I teach at the university. And Buttrick says, oh, astronomy. I don't get caught up in all the ins and the outs and complexities of astronomy. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. That's my astronomy. The the reason... Jesus preaches in parables is to push people deeper, to help them come to the Lord as who the Lord is, not a tiny, thin concept, but a person as thick as God. This is, this is something I thought was really interesting from C.H. Uh, Dodd. He's a New Testament scholar. He said, here's what a, here's what a parable is. A parable is a metaphor or a simile drawn from everyday life, and here's what's really interesting the meaning of which is sufficiently in doubt to tease the mind into active thought. The meaning of which is in sufficient doubt. So it teases the mind into thought. You think you know, but you don't know. And you have to press a little bit deeper. And as you press deeper, it presses more deeply into you. And this is so important because in our world... In the contemporary church, the main heresy is not universalism, pantheism, tritheism, or any other ism you can imagine. The predominant heresy is superficiality. I run into this all the time. That's another sermon. It will not do to come to Jesus superficially. In order to come to Jesus, in order to receive the gospel with integrity, it takes time. It takes time to believe. It takes time to receive Jesus. It takes time to receive the gospel. Now, this is important for us to understand because, again, whenever we start talking about 
evangelism and being a witness, we start thinking in terms of shark over here and carp over here. And the reason is we're thinking about the immediacy of results, the results being immediate and the timing of the results in some respect or another being up to us. And what Jesus reminds us of in this passage is real simple. Even Jesus, who is incredibly passionate, who is so compassionate and who is so driven to move from town to town to town to town, grinding it out and teaching in the synagogues and preaching the good news and healing every disease and sickness, even Jesus understands there must be patience. There's, there's a timing to the matter. It, you can't do it superficially. Let me give you an illustration of this. And this is not like a Jesus parable. I'm hoping that you understand this immediately because um, it's so simple. A few weeks ago, I was given a gift for pastor appreciation. I appreciate all of the appreciation. It's been really encouraging. The uh, Verbanics gave me this coffee-making system. And when you see all this, you go, man, that looks hard. It's not. It's not as easy as driving through the window at Starbucks, but it's better, okay? This is called an AeroPress. Uh, it's not a French press. I, I sometimes have misstated that. It's not a French press. It's called an AeroPress. It's somewhat like it. Here's how it works. Now, according to the instructions, you just put the little filter in here, and then you'll twist this on, and then you pour in the coffee, pour in the water, take this little device, and you just press. And it just presses the coffee right down through the grounds. That seems to make sense, right? Kind of good, and, and the coffee was, it was pretty good. But to be honest, when I had tried it a couple of times, I was just thinking, eh, you know, that's okay, but what am I going to do? Am I going to tell the verbanics this? No. It's not a lie to not tell people the truth. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, they, uh, they, they gave me the gift, and I think it's nice. And, and so they asked me what I thought. I said, oh, yeah, it's pretty good. And they said, well, are you doing it right? And it's like, what do you mean? I'm following the instructions. You put the coffee in, you put the water in. And they said, Ernest, we sent you an email with detailed instructions. And I'm thinking, well, okay, well, there's your problem. You emailed me. You should have talked to me in person. It's your fault. But anyways, I, they, they say, Here, here's what we told you. Okay. You don't do it like they say you should do it. That's intuitively obvious. You put it in there and you press because, hey, you're in a hurry. You want to get your coffee. It's not how you do it. I don't care what the company says. It's not the way you do it. Everything works better upside down. You put the put it in there and then you turn it upside down and i'm going to tell you this is this is awesome I'm, I'm teaching you about jesus and coffee which we all know are the two greatest things in life um, so you take your little scoop and it's really not that hard you just scoop it in here like that and uh maybe another little scoop because it was a gift it was free you're not wasting anything And then once you've put the coffee in, you take your, it's just a water pot. It's really good. We use this for tea and all the rest. It's, it's awesome. Then you just pour it in. And in the first service, Brett, who was sitting in the back, said, I could smell the coffee at the back of the room. And it's just so rich. And so if you're, if you're really into it, you say, okay, I could let it sit. You take a stir stick like this, stir it around. And then, and then you let it soak for a while. And then after 
you've stirred it, after it's soaked, after it's sat there, after you've poured in the coffee and you've poured in the water and it's had time to do its thing, then you put a cap on it. Then the final step, you turn it around and then you press. Okay. Now here's what people think. Pressing is what it's all about. That's evangelism. Four spiritual laws, plan of salvation, there's evangelism. You, you just stick the top on and you press. No. The whole, all of this contributes to the coffee, right? All of this contributes to the outcome that you desire. You say, well, so everything we do is evangelism? Well, it ought to be. You say, well, what are we doing right now? Well, we're turning up the heat, hopefully nicely. We're boiling the water. We're steaming things a little bit. And then you pour into people's lives. You pour in the taste. You pour in the flavor. You just pour in and you pour in and then you wait and it soaks. And, and then the time happens when things are right. And then you press. Now, you can't get around pressing. Two weeks ago, we talked about passion. Last week, prayer. Today, patience. Next week, we're going to talk about pressing. We cannot avoid that. It's part of it. But it doesn't come down only to pressing. It comes down to all of these things. Everything we do is evangelism, or it should be, advancing the gospel. And when you recognize that, you go, oh, I don't have to be a shark. I don't need to be a car. I can just continue to be who I am and be who I am openly with joy, leaving the results and the timing of the results to the Lord because I can guarantee you this, when you pour in and you pour in and you wait, doors open. But until they do, that's not so good. So when Paul talks about evangelism, he talks about it not in terms of here's the four spiritual laws and here's the time that you press. What does he say? When you go back to to, uh, Colossians chapter 4, he says, well, take advantage of every opportunity. There's not just one. Make the most of every opportunity that's given to you. And then here's what you do. You're wise with how you relate to people. You, You perceive the reality of the situation. And when you're wise... You work with what is given. You you do not ignore what is given for what it is that you would prefer. And typically, we would prefer timing that's a whole lot faster. You talk to parents. They wish their kids would grow up a lot faster than they do. My parents are still waiting. I mean, it's just the way it is, okay? You're wise. And then what do you do? You make sure that everything that you say, all of your conversation is full of grace, says Paul. Seasoned with salt. So you're the kind of person that's tasteful that they want more of. You're not the kind of person that say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't spend time with you. I need to go bathe my cat or something like that. No, you, they want to be around you. And then you're able to answer. He says, you need, you need to know how to answer every, everyone. Well, why would I give an answer to someone? Because they asked. I was in high school one time, and uh, there was a, 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 a gal in high school with me. Her name was Martha, and this was my sophomore year. And she asked me, and I'd never borne witness to her. I didn't really know her that well. She just asked me, what, what, what is different? Why are you different? They just, okay, that's a nice open door. When Jesus gives his talk with Nicodemus, Nicodemus is the one who asked Jesus for the time. Nicodemus is the one 
who, who brings up the conversation. Jesus is responding to questions. The greatest sermon in the book of Acts, the, Acts chapter 2, where Peter preaches this sermon and many are saved on Pentecost. You know what happens before the invitation is given? The people ask, what must we do to be saved? They're asking. Doors can open if you wait. But if you don't wait, you can kind of blow it. And I don't mean to put this on you in a negative way. If there's something inside of you that says, I need to be careful not to press too quickly, that's not necessarily a bad thing because you've given up. That may just be wisdom. That may be the Holy Spirit. There was a, a, a gentleman who did a, a, an experiment. That He was a young man. He was in college. He did an experiment to see how many women he could walk up to and ask, would you kiss me? And then them actually respond with a kiss. He's walking down the Central Avenue of Phoenix, and he goes to 97 women, strangers, and said, will you kiss me? On the 98th try, it finally happened. The 97 women before him, two of them slapped him, most of them cussed him, a lot of them rolled their eyes, and they... You know, they got angry and would all... If you are into spam evangelism, we're just going to press and press and press as fast as we can, as many people as we can. If you do that, you could say from that angle, well, that was a success. I mean, yeah, it, it took 98 women, but he finally got to one that kissed him. But the question that you might want to ask yourself is, well, what about the 97 before? How, how trusting are they going to be of the next man who just walks up to them out of the blue, maybe to ask a question or for directions or to, to offer help? The thing about this press is when I was doing it the wrong side, which is intuitively right, but when I was doing it the wrong way and it was coming out kind of weak, I couldn't reuse the coffee grounds. Once you've pressed, you've pressed. So there's wisdom that is involved. May we be wise, make the most of every opportunity, being wise with those who are outsiders, wise with those who do not believe being full of grace like the dolphin in all of our conversation, having our speech, you know, salty, tasteful, seasoned. And then when the door opens and they ask, you give the answer. And you say, well, do doors really open to people? Yes, they do. How do you open doors? Well, one is through prayer. Paul talks about it. You pray for the open doors. And there's another thing. You just pour into people, and eventually, as you are grace-filled, They'll ask. I love this story about this Missionary Baptist Church in Compton, California. How many of y'all have heard of Compton, California? Does that ring a bell? Okay, straight out of Compton, the, I guess the movie about the most famous uh, gangster rap group in America. It is the most dangerous city in California. And this church, this Missionary Baptist Church, it was faith, inspirational Missionary Baptist Church. They made a decision to adopt the most dangerous high school in the most dangerous city in California. It was Centennial High School. Centennial High School is so bad, 40% of the students in that high school were from foster homes or group homes, which means 40% of the student body had no meaningful adult supportive relationships in their lives. They go to games, nobody there from the family. No aunts, no uncles, no parents, just there you go. Rough group, rough high school. Well, there were a couple of uh, adults from the high school, not from the high school, from the Missionary Baptist Church who said, I want to help with the football team. I will volunteer to be coaches for the football team. So these two volunteers from the church start helping out, and they discover that locker room is a disaster in terms of just the space. It's atrocious. They were appalled by the conditions of the lockers and all the rest. And so these two volunteer coaches go back to their church, and they say, we need to help this school out. 
So they go to the locker room and they begin to refurbish it, you know, scrub down the lockers, repaint them and all the rest. And as you might imagine, as these volunteers from the church are helping with the locker room, there are some student athletes who are helping alongside of these volunteers. As these ladies from this church are painting the lockers, a young man, teenager, turns to the woman next to him and he says, why are you all doing this? And she says, actually not why are you all, he asks her, why are you doing this? And she says, because I love you. And he says, nobody loves me. And she puts down her paintbrush and paint can and she goes over to this young man and she just gives him a hug and he begins to weep. And he says, I have not been hugged in over seven years. And I'm just thinking two things. One, that he hadn't been hugged in seven years or more than that, but that he had kept count of it, that he had recognized it, that he had known it. And so the woman then, she wasn't done. She gets a dozen other ladies from the church to line up there in the locker room. And one by one, these women come up to this young man and they give him a hug and a kiss on the cheek. And they tell him God loves them and that God has a destiny for their lives. And it's like a little revival breaks out in this locker room. Because following that, the, the pastor of the Missionary Baptist Church, who's bivocational in a very rough community, was also on the police force. And he was able, after that moment, to have doors open to them in the high school. And this cop was able to line up 15 adults per student in the high school just to be supportive of them and to love them in the way that Jesus loves us. You pour into people and you pray and you wait and doors open. And then when people come to Christ, it's not to the thin little doctrinal moment. It's to the living Lord who is exactly what people need. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we just want to say thank you so much for allowing us to be conduits of your love and grace, and that is what we are. We know the world around us needs love. It needs grace. It needs forgiveness. It needs the presence of the almighty living God. And all of that is available without limitation in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, um, we just say thank you for allowing us to be a part of what it is that you're doing. And may we not be so silly or, or foolish to think that we would reduce evangelism to just sharing uh, the plan of salvation, although that's important. May we not be so... Uh, basically arrogant to not trust you with the results and the timing of the results. May you liberate us in the best of ways so that all of the opportunities that we have we're making the most of, so that we are wise with the people who are not yet in the faith, so that all of our conversation would just be full of grace, so that everything about us would be seasoned with salt and tasteful, so that when the moment comes and when people ask, we will be so ready and so will they. Teach us more from your word. May we be obedient in all things. And Lord, I can't help but think if, if maybe there's someone here or who's watching 
Maybe they're ready. Maybe. I don't know. You do. But if anyone is ready to receive Christ, to say, I know I've sinned and I know I need a Savior, Lord, I just pray that you help them in this moment just to turn to you and say, God, I, I recognize my need. I recognize that I've fallen short. I recognize that I, I've sinned. And it's not, it wasn't a mistake. I sinned because I wanted to, because I have a sin condition. And I turn from my sin and from my selfishness. And right now, God, I'm turning to Jesus Christ as my Savior because I need, God, your love. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need you in my life. And I know that the Bible teaches that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. The Bible teaches that Jesus came and he lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died so that I could have the life that he has, that he deserved but gave away for me. And so, God, in this moment, I just turn to Christ and acknowledge him as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for coming into my life. In Christ's name, amen.